It's time for the What in the Podcast. In 1980, an incident in Rendlesham Forest in England had the United States Air Base on high alert with stories about strange lights in the sky and a mysterious aircraft not of this world. The event has been likened to what took place in Roswell, New Mexico in the late 40s. Similarly, in 1942, the United States military was mobilized and artillery was fired over an alleged airstrike over the skies of Los Angeles. The question was, was it enemy aircraft that they were firing at? Or was it something even more alien in origin? Welcome to What in the Podcast. Begin audio transmission. Welcome to the What in the Podcast. With your hosts, Kent Whittington, and Adriana Mito, and Tracy Lynn Hernandez. Hello, and welcome to the What in the Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Adriana Mito, and here is my wonderful husband. Hey, yo. Apparently, he doesn't know how to tell you his name, <laughs> Kent Whittington. Thank you. And our other host. Hello, Tracy Hernandez. And there you go. Welcome to the What in the Podcast. We hope you enjoy the show. You already said that. I know that. Okay, well, that's fine. <laughs> How is everybody tonight? Hope you're good. Alive, awake, alert, enthusiastic. <laughs> I'm alive, awake, alert, enthusiastic. Are we sure about that? I'm alive, awake, oh, oh shoot. I'm, al- <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm alive, awake, alert, alert, awake, alive, alive, awake, alert, enthusiastic. They are happy now. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do the arm motions. They don't fling anymore. Well, nobody's going to see that anyway. <laughs> We don't have visuals with the show. But are so. you upright like last week? I am upright. Are you upright? So far. Okay, we're all upright again. Yay! <laughs> I don't know I don't know how for how long though this time, but we'll we'll see. We all seem to be a little tired tonight and I'll apologize if you hear any yawning folks. That's just been a rough week all around and and we're all physically exhausted. But But we're um, here. We are here for you. Yep, and yep. we're having fun. That's right. So we may be yawning, but we're here because we want to be here, not because we have to be here. Exactly. So tonight we're going to discuss a few UFO topics, militarily speaking. Uh, we're going to be ca- we're going to be talking about uh, Rendlesham Forest, uh, also known as Britain's Roswell. Along with that, we're going to tie in their Area Fifty One, Rudlow Manor, and Adri's going to do a spot on the Battle of Los Angeles. Yay! So it should be an interesting podcast tonight. But before we begin, let's start with our housekeeping like we always do. How do we start this? Uh, Anybody? I don't know. What did we... Oh, yeah. Uh, I have a question for all our listeners. Those of you that have been listening to last week's podcasts, um, why are you guys all listening to the second episode but not the first one? (laughs) Really? It's a good question. It's a good question. uh, For those (laughs) of you who do listen and are avid listeners... Uh, those of you who listened for the first time, in case you weren't aware of what was going on, <laughs> last week the episode got to be so long, we split it into two separate episodes. So you had episode 17 and episode 18, both titled the same, but episode 18 was also listed not only as part two, but a bonus episode. 
apparently you listeners out there, and I love you to death, but you listeners out there latched onto that last episode and listened to it. We have twice as many listens for the second half as we do the first. So if you listen to that half, do yourselves a favor. Go back to episode 17 and listen to that one too. Really, it's, it, it, it will make more sense. Yeah, you'll, lots get to. More sense. <laughs> you'll, you'll get the whole story. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just that you know what? That was a housekeeping thing. I was just curious. Well, I'm just glad I'm just we've glad been talking about it all it. week. I'm glad they enjoyed it. I just I, I had hoped that they had you know listened to both episodes. Yeah, there's a lot of information in the first episode that if you don't listen to it, you're missing out on. <laughs> now, how do I know this happened? Because uh, a, the podcast software that we use here actually has an analytics. I can look at it and I can see how many listens we're getting, what countries they're from, what formats they're using, all sorts of stuff like that. I'm kind of in your home. Demographics, <laughs> age range, everything but who you are. Yeah. Dem you know, demographics, you know, male, female, age ranges. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. And to that, to that end, um, I also want to mention, you know, how to get in touch with us and how to how to interact with us and be part of be part of our, our podcast group here. Um, First thing, if you want to leave a message with us for anything, it doesn't matter if you want to say hi or tell us a story that you might want to see on the podcast or, you know, relate something that happened to you, you can either email us at whatinthepodcast@gmail.com. Uh, you can join our Facebook group at what in the podcast at the what in the podcast Facebook group. Sorry. And um, oh, I apologize, dear. That was me. <laughs> I'm like sneezing, no sneezing, sneezing, no sorry. sneezing, sneezing, no sneezing. Never mind. I've had my issues of late this week. I, I wasn't trying to make fun of you. I thought the dog who was no, sitting wasn't underneath the dog. your chair for I swear. That was me. <laughs> it's just like, where'd it come from? In the meantime, I'm like, okay, she's either having a sneeze attack or. Oh, hi, over here. That's it, yeah. <laughs> Keep talking. I'll be right back. <laughs> So anyway, folks, um, bodily function, we get it. I'm not picking on him, I swear. It wasn't intentional. I just thought, I thought the dog, the dog is really bad sometimes. <laughs> Thank you, dear. You're welcome. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I don't know if I want to edit this part out or just let it run. <laughs> I say we let it run. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't trying to embarrass you, I promise. I get the goof too. No big deal. Everybody mm -hmm. does a goofy thing every once in a while. So anyway, as I, was, as I was trying to say, there are a couple ways you can contact us. <laughs> There is uh, what in the podcast gmail.com. You can send us an email directly to the group. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. You can uh, send us a message through our group on Facebook at the what in the podcast Facebook group. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and we're looking for new members to join up who actually do listen. We'd love to have you on there. And, and we love input. Yeah, we definitely love input. We love to input hear from you good. guys. Um, I, I, you know, even Craig. You know who you are. Hi, Craig. Hi, Craig. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you have a, right you're, yeah, well, we know, we know you listen because you tell us, but we would love some input or maybe show suggestions, anything, not just you, but anybody. He does that. I, well, he tells you, I don't talk mm -hmm. to him very often. So, but um, anyway. And the last way you can contact us, since I did say three, is through our message app on uh, the link that you'll find at the bottom of the podcast description that you're currently listening to. Yep, yep, yep. You click that link. It'll take you to our message board, basically. You just hit that record button and leave a message. If you don't like it, stop it. 
start over again and do another message. Exactly. It's real simple to use. And like Tracy said, if you get a notification to join Spotify or something like that, just ignore it. It's not a big deal. Yep. It doesn't affect mm -hmm. the recording and it's not forcing you to do anything that you don't want to do. So don't they're be not, afraid to use it. They're not stalking you. <laughs> no. No, if are. you want us to, we can <laughs> stalk you. Yeah, sure, why not? We're not. They're not. I also want to mention something else, too. If you want to contact us separately, you can always do that through Facebook also. I'm on there as Kent Whittington. Adri's on there as Adriana Camito. Trace is on there as Tracy Lynn Hernandez. Um, and we do respond. Um, sometimes Facebook hides. If we aren't, like, joined with somebody, they'll hide it. Sometimes they've gotten a little bit better than they used to be in yes. the past. You can contact us, contact us through Facebook Messenger, for that matter. Yep. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, direct message that's what I'm talking about. If you don't know the person, Facebook won't connect you unless you look for those messages. But, but we tend to try. But so. we are internet savvy. We have all the bells and whistles. So. And Sometimes too many whistles. Not enough bells, yeah. And not enough bells. Yeah, we have our moments. <laughs> so, you know, just, just to say it again, I'm, I'm looking at the page here. If you're going to leave us a voice message, it says send a voice message in the app. You tap it. It goes to another page. It loads the page slowly because my phone is possessed by all things deep and dark and demonic. <laughs> and then start recording now. You hit the button that says start recording now and you can change it. Just say Klaatu Barata Nikto. It'll be all right. Klaatu Barata Nikto. <laughs> oh, wait. Klaatu Barata Necktie? Nectarine. Nickel. Nickel. No, 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 no. That was an N word. Anyway. <laughs> See, I don't think I like this one. I'm going to record it again. Yes, yeah, start over. Start recording now. Really, truly, you can leave a message too, just like I did. Love you all. Haha. -ha. Testing. I'm really, labeling it. I Testing. I can really prove that right now, too. Sending the message. Oh, he's going to play it now. I could play it now. Because? Because. It's proof that it works. Through the wonders of technology, I am able to. But it hasn't loaded yet. Well, I'm, I'm, I have to, to send the pass, send it through. Well, anyway, while she's that doing that, <laughs> let's just jump into what we're doing tonight. We don't want to bore you, you folks any longer. Um, Why not? Because they came to listen to the story, not to us, man. Okay, it's now sending the voice well, message. I think I'd like to think they they, they like all of it. They like because the banter, if they didn't but... like all of it. I don't think they would listen. Yeah, but if all they listened to was us bantering back and forth all night long, I don't. Think It'd be we'd... pretty boring. Yeah. yeah. And we've got some good stuff prepared for you guys tonight. So. That's right. So we're going to start off tonight with the Rendlesham Forest incident. We always pick the ones that I can't say. Rendlesham? Rendlesham Forest incident. There we go. So. It's been sent. Cool. Dun, dun, dun. It's been sent. Yes, it has. And here it is. <laughs> really, truly, you can win lessons too, just like I did. Love you all. <laughs> <laughs> and it works. That was Tracy's message she just sent. So see how easy it is? It's really simple, guys. <laughs> I bet your kids could do it. <laughs> Sorry, that was bad because kids can do a lot more things than some adults. <laughs> yeah. So let's just jump into it here again. Uh, in late December 1980, there was a series of reported sightings of, an of unexplained lights near Rendlesham Forest, Suffolk, England, which had become linked with claims of UFO landings, the event occurred just outside RAF Woodbridge, which was used at the time by the United States Air Force, 
USAF personnel, including Deputy Base Commander Lieutenant Colonel Charles I. Holtz, claimed to see things they described as a UFO sighting. The Rendlesham Forest incident was a fairly well-documented episode. Details of the event spread like wildfire, even though then Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher is alleged to have said, don't tell the people. It began with the sighting of strange lights moving around, around in the woods. Then some troops claimed to see a, a craft itself described as a triangular shape with three legs. The occurrence is the most famous of claimed UFO events to have happened in the United Kingdom, ranking among the best known reported UFO events worldwide. It's been compared to the Roswell UFO incident in the United States and is sometimes referred to as Britain's Roswell. UK Ministry of Defense stated the event posed no threat to national security and it therefore never was investigated as a security matter. Skeptics have explained the sighting as a misinterpretation of a series of nocturnal lights, a fireball, the, what's that word, I'm sorry, the Orlordness Lighthouse and bright stars. So let's go Or on. Fordness. Or Fordness, thank you. Sorry. Boy, my eyes are bad right now. Uh, main events. Uh, in 26 December, around 3 o'clock, and this is in 1980, uh, it was reported as 27 December by Halt in his memo to the UK at the Ministry of Defense, however. But a security patrol near the East Gate at RAF Woodbridge saw lights apparently descending into nearby Rendlesham Forest. These lights have been attributed by, astro by astronomers to a piece of natural debris seen burning up as a fireball over southern England at the time. Servicemen initially thought it was a downed aircraft, but entering the forest to investigate, they saw, according to Holt's memo, what they described as a glowing object, metallic in appearance, with colored lights. As they attempted to approach the object, it appeared to move through the trees, and the animals on a nearby farm went into a frenzy. One of the servicemen, Sergeant Jim Penniston, later claimed to have encountered a craft of unknown origin while in the forest, although there was no publicized mention of this at the time, and there was no corroboration from other witnesses. Shortly after, at 0400 hours, local police were called to the scene, but reported that the only lights they could see were those of the Orford Nest Lighthouse, some miles away from the coast. After daybreak at the morning of 26 December, servicemen returned to a small clearing near the eastern edge of the forest and found three small impressions on the ground in a triangular pattern, as well as burn marks and broken branches on nearby trees. At 10.30, the local police were called out again, this time to see the impressions, which they thought could have been made by an animal. George Bruni, and Georgina, Georgina Bruni, sorry, in her book, You Can't Tell the People, published a photograph of the supposed landing site taken on the morning after the first sighting. Uh, 28 December, the Deputy Base Commander, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Holt, visited the site with several servicemen in the nearly, in the early, boy, excuse me, sorry, uh, trip over my lip. So Holt visited the sites with several servicemen in the early hours of 28 December 1980. Uh, report is 29 December by Holt. Uh, they took radiation readings in the triangle of depressions in the surrounding area using a using an ANPDR-27, a standard U.S. military radiation survey meter. Although they recorded 0 0.07 mil... Why am I getting this stuff? Millirotogens. Thank you, millirotogens per hour. In other regions, they detected 0 0.03 to 0 0.04 per hour around the background level. 
Furthermore, they detected a similar small burst over half a mile away from the landing site. Holt recorded the events on a microcassette recorder. It was during this investigation that a flashing light was seen across the field to the east, almost in line with the farmhouse, as the witness had seen on the first night. The Orford and this lighthouse is visible further to the east in the same line of sight. Later, according to Holt's memo, three star-like lights were seen in the sky, two to the north and one to the south, about 10 degrees above the horizon. Holt said that the brightness of these hovered for two to three hours and seemed to beam down a stream of light from time to time. Astronomers have explained these starlight lights as bright stars. Yes. Anybody else like to continue from there? Sure. Okay. <laughs> I could use a break. <laughs> Location. Rendlesham Forest is owned by the Forestry Commission and consists of, of about 5.8 square miles, 15 kilometers squared of coniferous plantations interspersed with broad-leaved belts, heathland, and wetland areas. It's located in the county of Suffolk, about 8 miles, 13 kilometers, east of the town of Ipswich. <laughs> Sorry. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the incident occurred in the vicinity of two former military bases, RAF Bentwaters, which is just to the north of the forest, and RAF Woodbridge, which extends into the forest from the west and bounded by the forests on the northern and eastern edges. At the time, both were being used by the United States Air Force and were under the command of Wing Commander Colonel Gordon E. Williams. The base commander was, was Colonel Ted Conrad, and his deputy was Lieutenant Colonel Charles I. Halt. The main events of this incident, including the supposed landing, landing or landings, took place in the forest, which starts to the east end of the base runway, or about 0.3 miles, point a half a kilometer, to the east of the east gate of the RAF Woodbridge from where the security guards first noticed mysterious lights appearing to descend in, into the forest. The forest extends about one mile, 1.6 kilometers, beyond the east gate, ending at a farmer's field at Chapel Green, in addition, at where additional levels, sorry, additional events allegedly took place. Ordinance Lighthouse, which skeptics identify as a flashing green light off the coast by the airmen, is along the same line of sight about five miles, point, or sorry, eight kilometers further east of the forest edge. At that time, it was one of the brightest lighthouses in the UK. Primary and secondary sources. The Halt Memo. The first piece of, of primary evidence to be made available to the public was it was a memorandum written by the Deputy Base Commander, Lieutenant Colonel Charles I. Halt, in the Ministry of Defense, MOD, known as the Halt Memo. It was made publicly available in the United States under U.S. Freedom of Information Act of 1983. The memorandum was dated 13 January 1981 under the title Unexplained Lights. The two-week delay between the incident and the report might account for the errors and dates and times given. The memo was not classified in any way. David Clark, a, con a consultant to the National Archives, was in has investigated this background of the memo and has reached, sorry, and the reaction to it, to it at the MOD. His interviews with personnel have, sorry, for, uh, nah, 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 nah. his interviews with personnel involved confirm the cursory nature of the investigation made by the MOD and failed to find any evidence. Of the reports are the incident made by the USAF or UK part from Halt memo. Halt has since gone on record saying he believes that he witnessed an extraterrestrial event that was then covered up. Okay, before you go any further here, um, we actually have a copy of uh, that memo, and I just wanted to go over it real quick here. Uh, it is dated 13 January 81, as you said. Uh, the subject is unexplained lights. This is from the Department of the Air Force. 
headquarters. Combat yeah. support group USAFP. APO New York. Okay. Uh, it says uh, it's directed to the RAF. Um, there are three paragraphs. Paragraph one, early in the morning of 27 December 80, approximately 0300 hours, two USAF security police patrolmen saw unusual lights outside the back gate at RAF Woodbridge. Thinking an aircraft might have crashed or been forced down, they called the permission to, they called for permission to go outside the gate to investigate. The on-duty flight chief responded and allowed three patrolmen to proceed on foot. The individuals reported seeing a strange glowing object in the forest. The object was described as being metallic in appearance and triangular in shape, approximately two to three meters across the base and approximately two meters high. It illuminated the entire forest with a white light. The object itself had a pulsing red light on top and with a white light. Sorry, lost my place. The object itself had a pulsing red light on top and a bank or banks of blue lights underneath. The object was hovering on or on legs. As the patrolman approached the object, it maneuvered through the trees and disappeared. At this time, the animals on the nearby farm went into a frenzy. The object was briefly sighted approximately an hour later near the back gate. Anybody want to do paragraph two? The next day, three depressions, one and a half inches deep and seven inches in diameter, were found where the object had been sighted on the ground. The following night, 29 December 80, the area was checked for radiation. Beta gamma, sorry, beta gamma radiations of 0.1 milliretagens were recorded with peak readings in the three depressions and near the center of the triangle formed by the depressions. Nearby tree had a moderate 0.05 to 0.07 readings on the side of the tree toward the toward the depressions. Later in the night, a red sun-like light was seen through the trees. It moved about and pulsed. At one point, it appeared to throw off glowing particles and then broke into five separate white objects and then disappeared. Immediately thereafter, three star-like objects were noticed in the sky, two objects to the north and one to the south all of which were about 10 degrees off the horizon. The objects moved rapidly in sharp, angular movements and displayed red, green, and blue lights. The objects to the north appeared to be elliptical uh, through an 8 to 12 power lens. Then they turned into full circles. The objects to the north remained in the sky for an hour or more. The object to the south was visible for two to three hours and beamed down a stream of light from time to time. Numerous individuals, including the undersigned, witnessed the activities in the paragraphs two and three. Signed, Charles Eiholtz, Lieutenant Colonel, USAF, Deputy Base Commander. So that was a lot to take in there. Unless... Very short memo, but there's more than that. We also have the HALT tape. In 84, a copy of what became known as the Hall tape was released to UFO researchers by Colonel Sam Morgan, who had by then succeeded Ted Conrad as Halt's superior. This tape chronicles Halt's investigations in the forest in real time, including taking radiation readings, the sighting on flashing lights between trees, and the star-like object that hovered and twinkled. The tape has been transcribed by researcher Ian Ridpath, who includes a link to an audio app, Sorry, forget that part. I actually, you don't have to look for that link because at the end of the podcast, if you if you are listening, keep in mind, I'm going to actually put the halt tape on here for you to listen to. So when you hear the end of the podcast, keep listening. There'll be more. 
Anyway, uh, let's go on to statements from eyewitnesses on 26 December. In 97, Scottish researcher James Easton obtained the original witness statements made by those involved in the first night sightings. One of the witnesses, Ed Cabinsag, said in a statement, we figured the lights were coming from past and coming from past the forest since nothing was visible when we passed through the woody forest. We would see a glowing near the beacon light, but as we got closer, we found it to be a lit up farmhouse. We got to a vantage point where we could determine that there were, that we were chasing, sorry, that what we were chasing was only a beacon light from off in the distance. Another participant, John Burroughs, also said, we could see a beacon going around, so we went towards it. We followed it for about two miles or three kilometers before we could see it was coming from a lighthouse. Burroughs reported a noise like a woman was screaming and also that you could hear the farm animals making a lot of noise. Paul heard the same noises two nights later. Such noise could have been made by a muntjac deer in the forest, which are known for their loud, shrill bark when alarmed. Goodness. Okay, some of this makes sense. Witness reports are, are thinking it's the, the beacon from the lighthouse, but they're, I, I don't know, some of it just doesn't add up. Yeah. You know, yeah, and the woman screaming, yeah, there could have been a deer. I've heard deer scream. I've never heard a deer have, scream. And, and I've heard animals scream, like the peacocks. It does. It does. Peacocks scream, scream like a woman being murdered. Deer scream like a woman being chased with a knife through the kitchen. Seriously? Yeah. yeah I've never. I've never. I am personally never heard it. Heard a deer <laughs> scream. That doesn't mean that they don't. I just never heard it. Can't count your scream? ears. Blessing. <laughs> yes. I've heard a goat scream. It's kind of similar. Uh, you know, I've seen, I've heard a goat scream. Can't count your ears. Blessed that they haven't heard this scream. But... Definitely. So anyway, uh, also there's the Halt Affidavit. In uh, June 2010, retired Colonel Charles Halt signed a notarized affidavit in which he again summarized what had happened, then stated he believed the event to be extraterrestrial and it had been covered up by both the UK and the US. Contradictions between this affidavit and the facts as recorded at the time in Halt's memo and tape recording have been pointed out. In 2010, Base Commander Colonel Ted Conrad provided a statement about the incident to Clark. Conrad stated that we saw nothing that resembled Lieutenant Colonel Holt's descriptions, either in the sky or on the ground, and that we had possible, or sorry, we had people in position to validate Holt's narrative, but none of them could. In an interview, Conrad criticized Holt for the claims in his affidavit, saying, he should be ashamed and embarrassed by his allegations that his country and Britain both conspired to deceive their citizens over this issue. He knows better. Conrad also disputed the testimony of Sergeant Jim Penniston, who claimed to have touched an alien spacecraft. He said that he interviewed Penniston at the time, and he had not mentioned any such occurrence. Conrad also just suggested that the entire incident might have been a hoax. This sounds a lot like somebody trying to deny the event ever mm -hmm. happened. And uh, I, I actually did listen to the Halt tape. He's not the only one talking about what's going on out there. Yeah. I mean, there's at least a, one subordinate with him, and there's a couple other you can hear too. And they're all talking about what's going on. It doesn't sound like uh, something they made up, or, or it doesn't sound like they're seeing lights that aren't there. Or, you know, they talk about the animals going not not just in a frenzy, but suddenly going quiet too. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. Anyway. In uh, 1983, Omni article says Colonel Ted Conrad, the base commander, recalls five Air Force policemen spotted lights from the sky that they thought was a small plane descended into the forest. 
Two of the men tracked the object on foot and came upon a large tripod mounted craft. It had no windows, but was studded with brilliant red and blue lights. Each time the men came within 50 yards of the ship, Conrad relates, it levitated six feet in the air and backed away. They followed it for almost an hour through the woods and across the field until it took off at phenomenal speed. Acting on the reports made by his men, Colonel Conrad began a brief investigation of the incident in the morning. He went into the forest and located a triangular pattern, ostensibly made by the tripod lakes. He did interview two of the eyewitnesses and concludes those lads saw something, but I don't know what it was. So here you've got one uh, one official saying that it didn't happen, and you got another one saying, actually no, it's the same, same guy. guy. Same guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, it's the same, same guy. guy saying, he said it didn't happen, and he says they saw something, but I don't know what it is. So he's he's denying it, and then, and. So okay, if you ask him, this happened in 2010. So if you ask him now, he'd say, say seven years, seven it's, it's or been, seventeen or eight years later, actually, he's yeah, seventeen to 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 well, twenty-seven years. Uh-huh. From the first incident it didn't happen if you ask him no i don't remember yeah so he gets to maybe he's still around for that matter uh, not that we're wishing him bad but no. i mean just we just never know I, don't, I don't know the the uh the state of uh, colonel conrad right now if he's still alive or dead at this point I, i'd have to look him up to find out for sure it's just just the, the how things change and mm-hmm. and, and impart is it from people around you and memory in classroom it didn't happen it couldn't happen you weren't there blah 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 blah, blah. and eventually you doubt yourself and there you go there's no such thing as ufos exactly aliens don't exist yes uh-huh. so that's which a... is hooey but mm-hmm. anyway <laughs> but Suffolk police also had uh an encounter too and they posted it in their log uh the police were called seen on the on the night of the initial sighting and again the following morning but found nothing unusual on the night of the initial incident, they reported that the only lights visible were from the Orford Lighthouse. They attributed the, ins- the indentations on the ground to animals. The Suffolk Constabulary file on the case was released in 2005 under the UK's Freedom of Information Act and can be accessed on their website. It includes a letter dated 28 July 1999 written by Inspector Mike Topolis, who notes that one of the police constables who attended the scene on the first night returned to the site in daylight in case he had missed something. There was nothing to be seen and he remains unconvinced that the occurrence was genuine, Rotopolis. The immediate area was swept by powerful light beams from a landing beacon at RAF Bentwaters in Orfordness Lighthouse. I know from personal experience that at night in certain weather and cloud conditions these beams were very pronounced and certainly caused strange visual effects. Now what does that sound like to you? Cover up. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like somebody told the police this didn't happen. Hey, also. it's just a weather balloon. Yep. Don't look this way. Quick, run it out the back door. It's just strange lights that you see all the time. Didn't mean anything. So now let's go to the Ministry of Defense file. Evidence of a substantial Ministry of Defense file on the subject led to claims of a cover up. Some interpreted this as part of a larger pattern of information suppression concerning the true nature of unidentified flying objects by both the United States and British governments. However, when the file was released in 2001, it turned out to consist mostly of internal correspondence and responses to inquiries from the public. The lack of any in-depth investigation in the publicity released documents is consistent 
publicly, sorry, the publicly released documents is consistent with the Ministry of Defense's earlier statement that they never took the case seriously. Included in the release files is an explanation given by Defense Minister Ward Trifgarn mm -hmm. as to why the Ministry of Defense did not investigate further. Skeptical analysis. I wish I had those release files. Yeah. That would be interesting to see what was said. Yeah, no kidding. Maybe we'll get something in this one. I don't know. Well, we're about to go on to the, the skeptical, skeptical analysis. analysis. You want to you cover that part sure. there? The Orfordness, Orfordness Lighthouse as seen from the southwest, a white shield blocked. Okay, yeah, there we go. A white shield blocked the light from from town of Oxford, but not from the forest where the sighting occurred. Don't you hate it when it's in English and you can't speak the language? Especially when I suddenly jump from <laughs> from row two to row four. I'm like that's not how one two three, not one two twelve. You know, uh, folks, we're not speaking broken English here. We're speaking tired English. <laughs> <laughs> One proposed theory is that the incident was a hoax. The BBC reported that a former U.S. security policeman, Kevin Cond, claimed that claimed responsibility for creating strange lights in the forest by driving around in a police vehicle whose lights he had modified. However, there is no evidence the prank took place on the nights in question. Other explanations for the incident have included a downed Soviet spy satellite, but no evidence has produced have been produced to support this either. The most plausible skeptical explanation is this, that the sightings were due to a combination of three main factors. The initial sighting at 0300 on 26 December, when the airmen saw something apparently descending into the forest, coincided with the appearance of a bright fireball over southern England. And such fireballs are common source of UFO reports. The supposed mar landing marks are identified by police and foresters as rabbit diggings. No evidence has emerged to confirm that anything actually came down from the forest. According to witness statements on the 26th of December, the flashing light seen from the forest lay in the same direction of, of Orfordness Lighthouse. When the eyewitnesses attempted to approach the light, they realized it was further away than they thought. One of these witnesses, Ed Cabin Singh, thank you, <laughs> described it as a beacon of light in the distance, while another, John Burroughs, said it was a lighthouse. See statements of the witnesses above. Okay, the whole thing about the rabbit digging is you're looking for you're looking at three rabbit holes in a triangular form a triangular giving off radiation in, yeah in, not only, in one and a half by seven inch rounds yeah even even sizes even yeah. diameters. exact yeah rabbits don't dig exact i'm deep, sorry seven inch rounds yeah rabbits don't do anything exact <laughs> having owned them before yeah you didn't know <laughs> timings on halt tape recording include sorry during the sighting on 28 december indicate that the light he saw, which lay in the same direction as the light the other two nights earlier, flashed every five seconds, which was the flash rate of, of the Orphanus Lighthouse. Starlight objects that Halt reported hovering to the north and south are thought by some skeptics to have been misinterpretations of bright stars distorted by the atmospheric and optical effects. Another common source of USO, UFO reports, not USO. That's a different sort of craft. Yes. <laughs> the brightness of them to the south matched the position of Sirius and the brightness of the star, sorry, the bright star of the night uh, of the night sky. In his January, or sorry, 6 January 2009 Skeptoid podcast titled The Rendlesham Forest UFO, scientific skeptic and author Brian Dunning evaluated the original eyewitness reports and audio recordings, as well as the resulting media reporting of the incident. After lengthy analysis, Dunning concluded, Colonel Halt's thoroughness was commendable but even he can be mistaken. Without exception, everything he reported on his audio tape and written a memo is perfectly rational and an unremarkable explanation. All that remains is the tale that men were debriefed and ordered never to mention the event and warned that 
quote, bullets are cheap, end quote. Well, as we've seen on television, the men talk quite freely about it, and even Colonel Halt says to this day nobody ever debriefed him. So this appears to be just another dramatic in invention for television, perhaps from one of the men who have expanded stories over the years. When you examine each piece of evidence separately on its own merit, you have to you avoid the trap pattern matching and finding correlations where none exists. The meteors had nothing to do with the lighthouse or the rabbit diggings, but when you hear all stories told together, it's easy to conclude, as did the airmen, that the light overhead became an alien spacecraft in the forest. Always remember, separate pieces of poor evidence don't aggregate together to a single piece of good evidence. You can stack cow pies as high as you want, but they won't turn into a bar of gold. Oh, I like cute. that. I like that line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I need that on a shirt. But I do have one thing to say, though. This was the, the report came from the base commander. Do you think he doesn't know there's a lighthouse out there? You would think he would know it's there. Oh, I'm sure he knew it was there. Do you think he doesn't know what stars are up in the sky? One would assume. Mm -hmm. You don't get to be a commander. You're not going to see strange lights in the sky and, and assume it's a star. Unless maybe it's Venus, because Venus can trick you. <laughs> but, but, but everybody's seen Venus kind of twinkle in the sky and know what it's what it is. Mm -hmm. a bright light with a beam descending down. Yeah, it could have been a lighthouse. Lighthouse doesn't the but light again, in the lighthouse does, doesn't go down, it goes out it goes up out, and right, down. Right, right. It doesn't just go down. Right. And even if he saw it as coming down, he still knows there's a lighthouse. Out yes. There. Mm -hmm. And it would go conically out, mm -hmm. not conically in. Exactly. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah it, a it, point it goes, above would be straight down or coned out. A point from the lighthouse, no matter what, is designed to be a lens to go out to be a flash, so it's going to be conically out from that point. But not down. But not, not to go down to the ground. If you're looking at the lighthouse, yeah, you see the rotation. And rabbits don't dig evenly. That's the other point. Sorry. Yeah. But the rotation <laughs> of the lighthouse. It wouldn't be a steady beam. It'll be moving. You're going to see the beam move. Mm hmm. Even and, if it just blinks out and blinks back in again, you're going to see a slight movement of that light as it does it. I would think. Okay, the only thing that would make me think it wouldn't do that is if there's a block on on the land side of the lighthouse so that you don't distract people living on the land behind it or, or don't... But then they wouldn't see it at all. You would see the flash on the sides, but you would still be one of those things of the bar comes over... But it, it disappears and then it goes out again. It would and flash outward on the sides, but it wouldn't yeah. flash down. Sorry. Not to mention the fact that if there is a bar like that, isn't that going to block the view from where they're at? Yes. Because that light's supposed to flash over the ocean, not okay. onto land. Yes. So, so if this is going fully, if it's a fully conical or fully round lighthouse, and everyone's seen it do its thing, lighthouses don't suddenly jump up in the air to make their light go down. Exactly. <laughs> lighthouses don't suddenly sink down low and make their light go up. Lighthouses are fixed points on fixed areas. Their lights move, but they're still fixed in a certain yes. way anyway. So, and rabbits, like I said, rabbits aren't, they don't, they, 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 yeah. they, sorry, Rabbit, rabbits dig irregularly. There, there is no perfect circle. There is no, and they don't give off radiation either, <laughs> except for normal, you know, and the air radiation. Yeah. Sorry. Well, this came out, this uh, did lead to something that was kind of cool. Um, the uh, In 2005, the Forestry Commission used lottery proceeds to create a trail in Rendlesham Forest because of public interest and nicknamed it the UFO Trail. In 2014, the Forestry Service commissioned an artist to create a work which has been installed at the end of the trail. 
The artist states the piece is modeled on sketches that purportedly represent some version of the UFO claimed to have been seen at Rendlesham. I've seen the pictures of this one. Is it cool? It is kind of cool. It, it's a triangular-shaped aircraft. It's kind of conical in the back, so it kind of looks like a... If you look at an ice cream cone, kind of rounded at the top, and you put it on its side, that's kind of what it looks like. Okay, But cool. it's concave and flat on the bottom. Still cool. It's got the three legs for landing gear, basically. And along the sides are the designs that look like handprints. There's about five or six on either side of the craft. Huh. I'm surprised they didn't put the lights in it. It's just, just all, it, all it is is a sculpture. They don't have to so. light it up, but they could have put the lights on it, like people were describing. Maybe they decorated it at Christmas time. Oh, I'm not the, the guy that, <laughs> that did it. I'm not the one that did it. So so we got a change of heart also along with the story here. In 2010, Jenny Randalls, who first reported the case in the London Evening Standard in 1981 and co-authored with the local researchers who uncovered the events, the first book on the case in 1984, Sky Crash, A Cosmic Conspiracy, emphasized her previously expressed doubts that the incident was caused by extraterrestrial visitors. So she's recanting right now. While suggesting that a UAP, an unidentified atmospheric phenomenon of unknown origin, might have caused parts of the case, she noted, while some puzzles remain, we can possibly say that no unearthly craft were seen in Rendlesham Forest. We can also argue with confidence that the main focus of the events was a series of misinterpretations, sorry, misperceptions of everyday things encountered in less than everyday circumstances. So they keep going back to it being a natural phenomenon mm -hmm. rather than... It's not real, it's not real! And, and in this case, this is a person who made money off of the Rendlesham Forest incident as a UFO phenomenon and then later recants her story after, you know, basically after she made all her money. Mm -hmm. So... And there's the possible That's... hoax that you have listed here next. In December two, uh, 2018, David Clark, a British UFO researcher, reported a claim that the incident was set up by the SAS uh, as a revenge plot against the USAF. Before you go any further, yeah. we should mention that SAS stands for Special Air Service. British, which is British Special Forces. British, yeah, British Special Forces. That wasn't listed in the notes. I had to add that in. Sorry about that. No worries. Continue. Uh, according to the story, in August 1980, the SAS parachuted an, into RAF Woodbridge to test the security of the nuclear site. The USAF had recently upgraded their radar and detected the black, the black parachutes of the SAS men as they descended to the base. The SAS troops were interrogated and beaten up with the ultimate insult that they were called unidentified aliens. To enact their revenge, SAS, quote, gave, end quote, the USAF their own version of a US uh, of a alien event. As December approached, lights and colored flares were rigged in the woods. Black helium balloons also coupled with remote-controlled kites to carry and suspend materials in the sky, activated by radio controls. Nowadays, Rendlesham Forest is a picturesque Suffolk, sorry, is, is picturesque Suffolk woodland popular with families. The walk from the parking lot to the visitor center of the UFO, quote, landing site is very pleasant, around three to four miles round trip. To avoid any confusion with the location of the event, someone has kindly placed a replica of the sighted spacecraft in the spot, which also makes for a more interesting photo opportunity than just a wood, woodland clearing. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's quite nice. <laughs> However, I, I, I have a lot to, well, a lot to, to take in here about this possible hoax. Um, reading about it here, I'm not sure I actually believe it. The, ho the, the yeah, landing I, thing? Yeah, I can't see, I really can't see. Special forces might be capable of something like this, but I don't think they'd actually do it. Think about the money for radio control things back in the, what was the 80s? 80s. 
Yeah. That's, price, a, lot of, that's a lot of that's cost, a lot for, of just, uh, cost for a practical yeah. joke. Yeah. And what happens if something gets damaged? You, you know, it's your butt. I don't care if special forces or not. You damage property that belongs to their, your government, your you're ass is on doomed. the line. Show. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry. Your tukus is toast. That's yes. They, they don't take kindly to you messing with your to, to their, their, their military forces messing with the property. So as I said earlier, um, Rendlesham Forest is Britain's Roswell, and for good reason, apparently. Um, like Roswell, you've got a lot of uh, incident reports, a lot <laughs> of uh, things that are later denied, uh, a lot of possible hoaxes and the like. Very, They're very similar in a lot of ways. Um, but if that's Britain's Roswell, I'm about to talk I, about Britain's Area 51. Unless you've I got have something 21 um, facts of the unresolved UFO incident at Rendlesham Forest. Oh, go won. for it. Yeah, Let her do that. Yes. <laughs> I can use a break. <laughs> so, 21 facts that stand out of the unresolved incident at Rendlesham Forest. First is several... English, that's still a hard thing for me to say. <laughs> the first of several sightings occurred in the early hours of December 26, 1980. It's now almost 40 years since UFO incident. This was written on May 7th, 2020, by the way. And um, understandably, the facts are murky and contradictory accounts have emerged in the years past the, since the incident has taken place. Over here. Thank you. Uh, the sightings took place near RAF Bentwaters and RAF Woodbridge in Rendlesham Forest, which we've already talked about. Um, the airbase was used by the USAF, US Air Forces, uh, during the Cold War until 1993. Sections of the Air Force were stationed at the airbase and the incident occurred, including eyewitnesses that to this day claim they saw extraterrestrial craft in the forest the month of December. It is one of the few officially documented UFO settings where witnesses claim to have seen a craft land. Nick Pope, who was a military defense employee from 1985 to 2006, wrote a book entitled Encounter in Rendlesham Forest, the inside story of the world's best documented UFO report. So UFO incident, described the incident with the following words. That was not some vague lights in the sky landing. A UFO actually landed, end quote. The U.S. Air Force, sorry, number four, U.S. Air Force officer John Burroughs described the agitated animals and red-blue lights near the farmhouse. One of the men asked to investigate the strange blue, red, orange, and white lights coming from the forest was John Burroughs. In a witness statement published in 81, he said, quote, the woods lit up like you can hear Woods, mm -hmm. The woods lit up and you could hear the farm animals making a lot of noise. You could see the lights down by the farmer's house on the forest edge. We climbed over the fence, started walking toward the red-blue lights, and they just disappeared. Number five. Officer Jim Pennington's witness account describes a craft made from smooth, opaque black glass. USAF officer Jen Pen sorry, Jim Pennington, who was Burroughs was with Burroughs during the incident, described seeing a craft covered in hieroglyphic-like characters, and he said the following, quote, estimated to be about three meters tall, about three meters wide at the base. No landing gear was apparent, but it seemed like it was on fixed legs. I moved a little closer. I walked about the craft, and finally I walked right up the craft. Notice the fabric of the shell was more like a smooth, opaque black glass. Number six, indentations in the ground and high radiation levels recorded the next day. The morning after the incident, witnessed by Burroughs and Penniston, the indentations in the forest were spotted, as well as damage to the trees and areas where the lights had been seen. Radiation levels on this site of the indentations were also reported to be unusually high. And the computer jumps again. One quick go. aside there before you go any further. The whole thing about the animals. 
again, would the lighthouse set off the animals? No. Would no. lights in the sky set off the animals? There's a chance lights in the sky would set off the animals, but maybe, if they're maybe. used to the Devil's flight Devil's advocate, though. What set off the animals? Wolves or predators at night could set them off, too, but not necessarily likely to set them all off. And all. If, if the deer set them off, okay, that's possible. But these are sounds these animals would probably hurt all the time. But to have them suddenly stop, anyone who owns animals knows that it takes a while for someone to shut up in the background. <laughs> There's always <laughs> always something blah, 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 before they finally, oh, it's done. <laughs> but it's suddenly uh, stop altogether, yeah. Yes. Number seven, Colonel Halt recorded a running commentary during the UFO sighting in Rendlesham Forest. On December 27th, 1980, two nights after the first reported incident. And remember, this is everyone's got the numbers, the dates mixed up because everyone documented two different times for being 15 days apart in documentation. Mm -hmm. And some of them were either the day before or the day after, depending yes. on the documentation as well. Um, it's real easy to forget what day something happened on. Exactly. It is. Uh, two nights after the first reported incident, U.S. Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt was ready. Known... As a pragmatic character, Halt set out to disprove wild theories doing rounds at, at the RAF bases. When more lights were spotted, he took his tape recorder and joined the military patrol group. The resulting audio tape, which we'll be playing later on, has since been declassified by the United Kingdom Ministry of Defense, is now public domain and can be listened to. During the recording, he mentions the objects in the sky, <clears throat> lights in the sky, as well as red orb floating near the ground. Colonel Halt says, it looks like it's an eye winking at you. Here it comes from the south. He's coming towards us now. And now we're observing what appears to be a beam coming down from the ground. It's unreal. The recording today is considered to be one of the most valuable pieces of evidence in the Reddison Forest incident. Burroughs and Pennison, the first two witnesses, suffered post-traumatic stress, stress disorder. In the encounter of Reddison Forest, the Pennison book first... In the encounter of Reddison Forest book, Pennington, Penniston wrote, I left the forest a different man. It was the awe. I was in awe of technology, and yes, knowing there was not an aircraft which could have been manufactured in eighties, in nineteen eighties, or even now. Both Penniston and Burroughs have suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder. The Telegraph reported in two thousand fifteen. In recent years, Penniston has claimed the craft telepath telepathically transmitted a binary code into his brain. Yeah, I, I, I remember hear about hearing that. about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the thing also. It's not just lights. There's a couple guys who actually said they saw a crash. There's recordings of him sit, speaking the numbers for the code. I forget what I remember hearing mm -hmm. about that. They are available. I'm not <sighs> sure there are uh, where to find them, but um, I'm sure a quick internet search would probably bring that up. If you're really interested, folks, I'd definitely say look that up. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, no, I, I like recall them there being recordings of mm -hmm. it and he deadpan <clears> speaking <throat> it. I was just like, I heard clips of it. It's a long time ago. Though. It was, and it did turn out that what he was speaking was a binary code. It was a computer code, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't know if it was ever uh, translated, but they did, they did learn that the code was binary and it was something tangible. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just made up numbers or, th or things like that. Hey, Google, listen to you. <laughs> Google always listens to me. No, too. my Google doesn't listen to you. Heck, your Google doesn't listen to you. It listens to me. Well, that's about <laughs> Google. It'll, it'll speak up even when you don't I want didn't it say to. it. Neither one of us, nobody <laughs> said Google and woke up. I'm getting mine popped up today just because you said thank you about something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Random. Sorry, guys. Technology is listening to you, folks. We're being spied <laughs> on by our computers and electronics. 
Flashback. Flashback. So, 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 so to the I federal government, if you're listening to this episode, this is all in good, clean fun. We're not actually believing conspiracies, although we yeah. might, we might be. Who knows? It's, 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 it's the. You know, I laughed. She laughed. The toaster laughed. I shot it. You know. Yes, anywho, <laughs> number nine. Numerous eyewitness <clears throat> statements emerged following the incident. Burroughs, Penniston, and Colonel Hulse have been the most vocal in saying they believe what they saw was extraterrestrial in origin, but they're not the only eyewitnesses. <clears throat> Pardon me. Sergeant Adrian Bustiniza, security police commander who investigated the, the incident at the time, said, when I arrived at the scene, uh, it was going in and out through the trees, and at one stage it was hovering. Number 10. Some eyewitnesses claimed to not have seen any, UFO, any UFOs. Another witness, Ed Cabinsang, never say his name right describes seeing a glowing light near the beacon light it was and that way as we got closer we found it to be a little farmhouse we got a vantage point where we could determine that we were chasing it was only the beacon light in the distance that's ed cabasag if that helps yeah, cabin sag yes. cabasag cabasag yeah. <laughs> abacab i don't know <laughs> the ministry of defense has claimed that the lights came from the nearby orfordness lighthouse more on that later on it's also stated that the event posted no post Posed no threat to national security and was therefore never investigated as a security matter. 11. In, 2000, sorry, in 1983, the UK paper run front page story which stated, UFO lands in Suffolk and it's official. The following years, the accounts of the Renaissance Forest incident were released and the press started to respond to growing public interest around the events. In 83, the news of, of the world ran front page story. I don't know why they put me this twice. No, I know who it was. <laughs> the dog has brewer's beast farts. Sorry. <laughs> Number 12. Statements from radar operators have recently corroborated Colonel Halt's claims. As recently as 2015, then 75 year old Colonel Halt announced that he had obtained written statements from radar operators, um, RAF Bentwaters, and nearby Wittenstrom Airfield that an unknown object was, in, in fact, tracked at this time of the incident. As per the BBC, Halt claimed they had not wanted to come forward until after they had retired from their military roles. Quote, I have confirmation that Bentwater's radar operators saw the object go across the 60-mile, 96-kilometer scope in two to three seconds, thousands of miles per hour. He came back across the scope again, stopped near the water tower, and they watched and observed go th through the forest wherever they were, said Colonel Halt. Today, there's a U.S. UFO trail set out for the forest trekkers. In 2005, due to public interest in the UFO incident, the Forestry Commission used lottery proceeds to recreate, sorry, to create the trail in Renishon Forest. They called it the UFO Trail. In 2014, Forestry Service commissioned an artist to create the sculpture that was placed at the end of the trail based on drawings of the, UF, of the eyewitnesses of the UFO. To the, uh, 14, 2015, a dog walker posted a fresh video of footage of Renishon Forest. There have been more incidents of explained lights and UFOs, sorry, unexplained lights and UFOs in, in the United Kingdom and Rendlesham, Rendlesham Forest since 1980. Only five years ago, the dog walker posted a, a video. Uh, why did I get that twice? Um, oh, well, see, this is that's just it. This is not a one-time event. It's happened again. Yep. Uh, bright lights moving, unidentified lights moving above Rendlesham Forest, filmed alongside an RAF helicopter. Uh, 15. There's a story about an incredibly futuristic technology secretly installed the UF at, sorry, at RAF Bentwaters. Daniel Simpson, director of the Rendlesham UFO incident, a fictionalized account of the story filmed on location of the forest, told the Telegraph the following story. 
I recently heard a very interesting story of a guy that went up to Bentwaters Air Base, and because it's privately owned, some of those buildings are rented out to people. A company up there wanted to have their internet sorted out, so this guy dug down, and he was a telecom guy, and he came back white as a sheet and said he couldn't believe it. He just came across these cables, two foot down, and there were cables delivering such powerful and intense connection, They were, but they were cables from the 1980s. They were from the 80s, yet he was. So, they were so advanced of what they've got now. I'm told that at the time that we get technology, it's much behind what the military actually has. Well, it's usually the case for any sort of technology. When the military gets a hold of it first, utilizes it, and then it's disseminated in the public. Yep. That's good. Um, so, okay. I'm not sure what that has to do with the UFO incident, but that's kind of an interesting little aside there. <laughs> uh, 16. Recent claims suggest that Reynoldsham Forest incident is a revenge hook by the SAS. December uh, 2018, David Clark, UFO researchers reported the claim the incident was set up by the SAS as a revenge plot against the USAF. According the story, which we've just talked about, they parachuted into Red Bridge and you know, secured the site. Everything went to sideways. They were beaten up, reportedly called even unidentified aliens. So they set it back up as an approach, as they approached with lights and colored flyers rigged in the woods. Black healing balloons are also coupled to remote controlled kites, suspended materials, and radioactivated controls. Now, here's why I don't believe that story. We're talking about the SAS, this is British Special Forces, who are allied with the United States Air Force at the time here. And the, the base is a, mil- is, a, is a nuclear facility on top of it. What commander in special forces or any, any sort of military at, at that time or any time is going to tell his troops to parachute over a nuclear facility? They're not. Exactly. I don't believe that. I really don't. <laughs> Number 17. <clears throat> One of the original... Sorry, the uh, one original proponent now believes it was an unidentified aerial phenomenon, UAP, who was seen at the site. Jenny Randall's one of the first journalists to, to report the incident. She also co authored the book, in, uh, in the case in 1984, Sky Crash, a Cosmic Conspiracy. In 2010, Randall suggested the UAP, uh, an unidentified aerial, aerial phenomena of unknown origin, might be responsible for what eyewitnesses experienced. 18. Some UFO skeptics believe the settings were caused by meteor and atmospheric distortions, which we just talked about that too. Mm-hmm. A science writer, a UFO skeptic, Ian Ridpath, explains that the night incident was exceptionally a brilliant meteor termed a fireball by astronomers was seen over southern England, showing that fireballs are most likely what they saw and nothing landed in, in Rendlesham. Now I'm about two steps behind here, but I want to jump in again here. The unidentified aerial phenomenon. Wouldn't a UFO count as the unidentified aerial phenomenon? I would think so. Because what is a UFO? It's an unidentified flying object. object. Which would be an aerial. Yeah. It's the, same, it's the same thing. So anyway. The uh, 19. Others suggested the fighting, that the sightings have been caused by the Orphanus Lighthouse. Uh, 20. There have been suggestions of a government cover-up. Cover Colonel Halt, who reported the auto tape commenting during the second incident, has gone on record saying that he believes he saw... Extra, extraterrestrial origins and the incident was covered by the UK and US governments. The Ministry of Defense, meanwhile, is adamant that Renaissance Forest was no threat to national security and therefore hadn't merited a full investigation. And finally, number 21, details continue to emerge as, quote, British Roswell, quote, earns iconic status. Academic David Clark argues that Renaissance Forest, which is now an iconic 
status among UFO enthusiasts is passing into legend, and it's not about to be put to rest. New witnesses have emerged as recently as 2016 and 2019, one of which describes a glowing reddish ball in a new documentary called Cave, sorry, called Chapel Green is in the works. With any lack of satisfying conclusive evidence on the other side, skeptics and proponents will continue to debate the matter and compare it to the Roswell UFO incident in 1947. There we go. There you go. <laughs> like I said, there's a whole lot of stuff in there, and I only believe about half of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just too much going on to not believe that it's a UFO incident of some sort. Even or if it's not a spacecraft, you had lights in the sky. Something is there. flying. Disturbing animals down uh, from above onto the ground. They should know that there that there is a lighthouse out there, and they're saying that they weren't aware of it. I know it's all sorts of weird things. Yep. But anyway, we're going to stop for a second and take a quick break. We'll be back momentarily, and then we will go back to starting on Rudlow Manor. Processing of commercial information is complete. Back to the show. And we're back. Are you sure? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the alien said. No. <laughs> anyway, let's go on to Rudlow Manor, as I promised. Uh, Rudlow Manor, formerly the RAF box, was a Royal Air Force station located northeast of Bath, England, between the settlements of Box and Corsham in Wiltshire. It was one of several military installations situated in the area and covered three dispersed sites. According to history, the situation with the, the station, sorry, was established on top of quarries from which bath stone had been extracted. In the 1930s, some of the tunnels had been converted for use as a central ammunition depot. The vast cavern had some 2,250,000 square feet or 209,000 millimeters squared of space. Meters. Meters squared, sorry. (laughs) Millimeters would be too small. Yeah. Divided into many smaller chambers. During the Second World War, and thank you for that, Tracy, by the way, uh, the Operations Center of Number 10 Group, RAF, was housed there in three buildings, or the Operation Room, the Filter Room, and the Communication Center, which were partially buried for protection in a similar way to buildings for number nine group at RAF Barton Hall, number 11 group, RAF at RAF Umbridge, number 12 group, RAF at RAF Walnut, and a lot of the RAF groups. <laughs> <laughs> um, the operations room responsible for directing RAF aircraft in the number 10 group area was initially established in a block adjacent to the manor house in June of 1940. The area covered by number 10 group encompassed Southwest England and South Wales. Later in the year, the operations room was relocated to the north end of an underground bunker in Brown's Quarry. The operations room became disused in May 1945 when Number 10 Group was disbanded. Um, The filter room, uh, responsible for filtering large quantities of intelligence on enemy activity before it was passed to to the operations room, was located in the south end of the underground bunker in Brown's Quarry and became operational in 1940. Filter room became disused in May of 1945 when group when number 10 group was disbanded. Eileen Young, husband, who served in various filter rooms, recounted her experiences at Rudlow Manor in her 2011 memoir, One Woman's War. The communication center was located in the west part of the underground bunker in Brown's Quarry. The members of the Women's Auxiliary Air Force who staffed the underground bunkers were 
billeted at nearby Hartham Park. RAF Redlow Manor is also known as Britain's Area 51, as I said, since declassified secret files released at the National Archives indicated, indicated that the site was the center of UFO investigations in the 50s. Uh, the wider site continued as both a communication hub and home of various administrative units. Number one signals unit was established to manage all UK terrestrial communication infrastructure for the RAF. My name might account for all those wires you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Were they talking about the underground wires? Yeah. In the forest? Well, right. If, if uh, Rendlesham had them, they probably did too. Yep. Uh, with the launch of the UK satellite communication system, Skynet, <laughs> that's funny, in the late 1960s. That is 60s, right? Yeah, it is 60s. 60s. So a couple of years before the the, uh, the 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 before game sentence. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's not that's, the same that, Skynet. That's a well-timed pun. The site of controller defense communication network was established. The spacecraft operations center was established by a 1001 signal unit, a spacecraft operation organization, on a small enclave within the site known as Hawthorne. Headquarters, the RAF Provost and Security Services, was established nearby, although on the closure of the station, it moved to RAF Henlow. RAF Rebel Manor was the location of Headquarters Southern Area Royal Observation Course, Corps, sorry, from 1952 until 1980, when it was relocated to Lansdowne near Bath. Co-located with the ROC was Headquarters Southern Sector United Kingdom warning and monitoring organization responsible for the now defunct four-minute warning in the event of nuclear attack during the Cold War. The manor house, built in the late 17th century, was designated as Grade 2, listed in 1985. The site was adjacent to Basil Hill Barracks, the headquarters of Number 2 Signal Brigade, HMS Royal Arthur, and the Royal Navy Stores Depot, Copenhagen. The station was closed in 2000. The Defense Communication Service Agency took responsibility for the site and was reorganized into the Information System and Service Cluster in 2008. What else are you going to do with a closed base that was uh, responsible for communications? <laughs> of course, as, I'm, as you're reading this, my, my mind is filling in things from, you know, old Doctor Who, mm -hmm. new Doctor Who. I'm like, yes, this is unit. This is unit. It this is not unit. Like unit yeah. No, no, no. This <laughs> this is the code breakers part. This is, this is the seventh Doctor. No, it's not. Get back in reality. No, this right. is where it could very well be. It's not the seventh doctor, it's the third doctor. <laughs> yeah, I was going back, I'm like, oh, it's the third. The seventh doctor also had co-breakers because it's when, when um, we find out that Ace's mom, she loved Ace's mom when Ace's mom was a baby because mom true. was a code-breaker's child. But she hated Ace's mom afterwards because Ace is, you know, Ace. And anyway. There's your, and there's your Doctor Who history moment of the day. <laughs> <laughs> I love Doctor Who, and my favorite companion will always be Ace. But, yeah. but now that I've gone through all the ephemera of the base, uh, this is a base <laughs> with a manor house built on top of it. The cat just fell upstairs. So something like that is going to generate a lot of conspiracy, which is why it's considered uh, the Area 51 for, <laughs> for Britain. And the conspiracy goes like this. Rudlow Manor has another name, of course, as I said, Britain's Area 51. On the surface, it appears to be nothing more than a quaint English manor house. But researchers have argued for years that it has been the, the epicenter of British research into UFOs since World War II. British Ministry of Defense insiders claimed that an astounding 2.2 million square feet of vast caverns divided it divided into many smaller chambers lie buried underneath. 
The conspiracy also suggests the possibility that important files relating to the history of the UFO phenomenon are being kept under lock and key there. Might recovered extraterrestrial craft be stored and analyzed there as well, maybe? Huh? Possibility. So. Could the evidence of extraterrestrial contact from the Berwyn Mountain Corps and the Reynoldson Force Encounter in 1980 be hidden in this highly protected facility? Yeah, now I gotta look up the other incident. And you yawn on my case for cussing. I know, I know. Sorry, folks. We try to keep this as clean as possible. Sometimes slip, they slip out. We slip up, not out, slip up every once in a while. Well, slip out of me. <laughs> sure it did. Well, now it's your turn, dear. You're it's my turn, yes, because apparently I've been very, very quiet. So You have the, been quiet. It's weird. Quiet. It's, it's a yes, for me, it's very weird, yes, because I, I never <laughs> shut up. If you know me at all, I never shut up. I talk a lot when I'm nervous. I babble when I'm nervous. Are you so, nervous now? Not really. Okay. So, anyway. <laughs> the Battle of Los Angeles. The Battle of Los Angeles, also known as the Great Los Angeles Air Raid, is the name given by contemporary sources to a rumored attack on the mainland United States by Japan and the subsequent anti-aircraft artillery bar barrage, which took place from late 24 February to early 25 February in 1942 over Los Angeles, California. The incident occurred less than three months after the United States entered World War II in a response to the Imperial Japanese Navy's surprise attack on Pearl Harbor. Yeah, they were really concerned that there would be a second attack on the mainland, which is why this incident got so much interest, basically. Actually, surprised it didn't happen. Because we aren't that far from Jim. I mean, we really are not. I mean, Hawaii's no, not that the West far Coast, from Jim. No. no. So, maybe in another universe. Mm -hmm. Anyway. <laughs> Very weird. Sorry, folks. My stomach just gurgled if you didn't hear that and threw her off. <laughs> a little, little disturbed. Sorry, guys. And one day after the bombardment of Elwood near Santa Barbara on February 23rd, initially the target of the aerial barrage was thought to be an attacking force from Japan. But speaking at a press conference shortly afterwards, Secretary of the Navy Frank Knox called the purported attack a false alarm. Newspapers of the time published a number of reports and speculations of a cover-up. When documenting the incident in 1949, the United States Coastal Artillery Association identified a meteorological balloon sent aloft at 1 a.m. having started all the shooting and concluded that once the firing started, imagination created all kinds of targets in the sky and everyone joined it. In 1983, the U.S. Office of Air Force History attributed the event to a case of war nerves triggered by a lost weather balloon and exacerbated by the stray flares and shell bursts from adjoining batteries. What's that in the sky? I don't know. Shoot at it. Yep. Kill it. Kill it. That's <laughs> pretty much what we got going on here. Well, no, they, they did. There the was case. a hair hysteria. Here. Yes. Really? You think duck and cover is going to work in a, in a nuclear attack? Yeah, oh, really. No, by the same, but that's but by what the they same did. Token, they got something out in the sky. You think they're going to see what it is at least. There no, not, not in wartime, no. Because everything that is an unknown is dangerous in wartime. Because you don't know. Look what How many lives were lost in Pearl Harbor? Right, I don't I'll remember. Grant you, I'll grant you shoot first, ask questions later. That might be the policy of the time. Yeah, find out what it is and dissect it later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <Right. laughs> I'm having issues. I apologize. Anyway, continue. Background. In the months following the Imperial Japanese Navy's attack on Pearl Harbor in Hawaii on 7 December 1941 and the United States entry into World War II the next day, public outrage, sorry, 
Sorry, folks. I am not laughing about what I'm reading. No, this the cat keeps falling upstairs. <sighs> Sorry, I'm I'm better. Okay, I lost my place now. Big doofus klutz cat. Yes, that's not the, your place. Now. The next day, public outrage and paranoia intensified across the country, and especially on the west coast of the United States, where fears of a Japanese attack on or invasion of the mainland were acknowledged as realistic possibilities. In Juneau, Alaska, residents were told to cover their windows for a nightly blackout after rumors spread that Japanese submarines were working along the southern, southeast, southeastern Alaskan coast. I could talk, really, folks, I promise. Rumors that a Japanese aircraft carrier was cruising off the coast of San Francisco Bay resulted in the city of Oakland closing its schools and issuing a blackout. Civil defense sirens provided by Oakland Police Department cars blared through the city and radio silence was ordered. This you thought COVID was bad. I know. <laughs> the city of Seattle also imposed a blackout of all buildings and vehicles and owners who left the lights on and their buildings had their businesses smashed by a mob of 2,000 residents. Oh my. Like I said. <laughs> the rumors were taken taken so seriously that 500 United States Army troops moved into the Walt Disney Studios lot in Burbank. Whoa. <laughs> I've lost my page. Hold on a second. <laughs> California to defend the, the famed Hollywood facility and nearby factories against any enemy sabotage or air attacks. As the United States began mobilizing for the war, anti-aircraft guns were installed, bunkers were built, and air raid Precautions were drilled into the populace all over the country. Contributing to the paranoia was the fact that many American merchant ships were indeed attacked by Japanese submarines and waters off the West Coast, especially from the last half of December 1941 through February 42. SS Agarworld escaped, SS Amadillo sank, SS Samoa escaped, SS Larry Doni sank ss dorothy phillips damaged ss hm story escaped sank later ss camden sank ss absorca absorca damaged ss montebello sank ss barbara olson escaped ss connecticut damaged and ss idaho minor damage as the hysteria continued to mount on february 23rd 1942 at 7.15 p.m., during one of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's fireside chats, Japanese submarine I-17 surfaced near Santa Barbara, California, and shelled Elwood Oil Field in Golotea. Although mm -hmm. damage was minimal, only 500 in property damage, equivalent to about 7,800 in 2019. And no injuries. The attack had profound effect on public imagination, as West Coast residents came to believe that the the Japanese could storm their beaches at any moment. Less than four months later, Japanese forces bombed Dutch Harbor in Alaska, Alaska. In Alaska, Alaska, excuse me. Sorry, folks. And landed troops in Altian, the Aleutian Islands. Islands of Kiska and Atua. Atu. Atu? Okay. Mm -hmm. I can't. I'm horrible at pronunciation. Okay. I'm horrible at spelling. Would you like me to continue? Um. No, I say we let Tracy continue if okay. she'd like. I can do that. I was just looking up. Oh no, I can it, it, it triggered a memory of of, of unexploded bombs in in Oregon from the Japanese attacks as well. Sure, for so. sure. 
Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. If you don't it. look, no, no, no. It's just one of those. It triggered a memory, so I looked it up. Oh, okay. Um, so alarms raised on 24th of February 1942. U.S. Naval Intelligence issued a warning that an attack on mainland California could be expected within the next 10 hours. That evening, many flares and blinking lights were reported in the vicinity of defense plants. An alert was called at 7:18 p.m. and was lifted at 10:23 p.m. Reviewed, sorry, renewed activity began early in the morning of February 25th. Air raid sirens around 2:25 in the morning. Yep. Um, throughout Los Angeles County, a total blackout was ordered and thousands of air raid wardens were summoned from their positions. At 316, the 37th Coast Artillery Brigade began firing 50 caliber machine guns and 12.8 pound, 5.8 kilogram anti-aircraft shells into the air at reported aircraft. Over 14,000 shells, sorry, 1,400 shells were eventually fired. Pilots of the 4th Interceptor Command were alerted, but their aircraft remained grounded. The artillery fire continued sporadically until 4.14 a.m. The all-clear was sounded, and the blackout order was lifted at 7.21. Several buildings and vehicles were damaged by frail fragments. Sorry, shell fragments. There we go. What's a frail fragment? <laughs> you know. <laughs> and five civilians had died as an indirect result to anti-aircraft fire. Three were killed in car accidents in the ensuing chaos, and two of heart attacks attributed to the stress in the hour-long in the hour-long hour action, the incident was front-page news along the U.S. Pacific Coast and across the nation. The press response: Within hours of the end of the air raid, Secretary of Navy Frank Knox held a press conference, saying the entire incident had been a false alarm, false alarm due to anxiety and war nerves. His comments were followed by statements from the Army the next day that reflected General George C. Marshall's supposition that the incident may have been caused by enemy agents using commercial airplanes and psychological warfare campaign to generate panic. Some contemporary press outlets suspect the cover-up of the truth. And in, in an editorial, Long Beach Independent wrote, there's a mysterious reticence about the whole affair, and it appears that some form of censorship is trying to halt discussion of the matter. Speculation was rampant as to invading airplanes and, and their bases. Theories included secret base in northern Mexico, as well as Japanese submarines stationed offshore with the capability of carrying planes. Others speculated the incident was either staged or exaggerated to give coastal defense industries an excuse to further move inland. Representative Leland Ford of Santa Monica called for congressional investigation, saying none of these explanations so far offered removed, sorry, so far offered removed the episode from the category of complete mystification. This was either political, either practice raid or a raid to throw some, a raid to throw a scare into two million people, or a mistaken identity raid. Or a raid that lay a political foundation to take away Southern California's war industries. So it could have been a little bit of anything. Could have been uh, faked by the military. Mm -hmm. Basically, he's saying that no excuse they used was good enough. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. 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 Yeah. They've got three different scenarios here for for what it could be if it was faked. Yep. Not much on if it's an actual event though. Exactly. The UFO hovering over the sky. Several UFOs hovering over the sky. They're going to take pot shots at them and then later deny it ever happened. Sounds like a plan, right? Mm -hmm. Or something like that. Well, let's go into the attribution here. Uh, no. No? Why not? Because it's my turn. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I said, Taking... let's go into it. I didn't say I was going to do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can't read. It's my turn. Go no. for it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'll just kick back. Okay, cool. You do that. After the war ended in 1945, the Japanese governor government declared that they had flown no airplanes over Los Angeles during the war. In 1983, the U.S. Office of Air Force History concluded that an analysis of the evidence point, bless you, points okay. to meteorological balloons as the 
as the cause of initial alarm. Seriously, people, why is that always the excuse? During the course of a fireside report to the nation delivered by President Roosevelt in, on the 23rd of February in 42, a Japanese submarine rose out of the sea. And it's suddenly quiet. Okay, I thought we were repeating something for a split <laughs> no, second. You're fine. <laughs> sea off Elwood, a hamlet on the California coast north of Santa Barbara, and pumped 13 shells into... No, we did talk about this. The shots seem... Shots seem de designed to punctuate the president's statement that the, the broad oceans, which have been heralded in the past as our protection from attacks, have become endless battlefields on which we are constantly being challenged by our enemies. Yet the attack, which was supposed to carry the <laughs> <laughs> enemy's defiance and which did succeed in stealing headlines from the president's address, was a feeble gesture rather than a damaging blow. The radar surfaced at the radar surfaced at 19:05 Pacific time, and just minutes after the president started his speech, for about 20 minutes, the submarine kept a position 2,500 yards offshore to deliver the shots from its five and a half inch guns. The shells did minor damage to piers and oil wells, but missed the gasoline plant, which appears to have been the aiming point. The military effects of the raid were therefore nil. The first news of the attack led to the dispatch of pursuit planes to the area, and subsequently three bombers joined the attempt to destroy the raider, but without success. Well, if something's underwater, you could miss it. The reluctance of the AAF commanders to assign larger forces to the task resulted from their belief that such a raid as this would be employed by the enemy to divert attention from a major air task force which would hurl its planes against a really significant target. Laurel, bleh, loyal Japanese Americans who had predicted that a demonstration would be made in connection with the president's speech also prophesied that LA would be attacked the next night. The army too was convinced that some new action impended and took all possible precautions. Newspapers were permitted to announce that a strict state of readiness against renewed attacks had been imposed in their followed the confused action known as the Battle of Los Angeles. During the night of the 24th to 25th of February, 1942, unidentified objects caused a succession of alerts in Southern California. On the 24th, a warning issued by Naval Intelligence indicated that an attack could be expected within the next 10 hours. The ev that evening, many flares and blinking lights were reported from the vicinity of defense plants. An alert called a 1918 at 7 18 p.m pacific time was lifted at 22 23 and the tension oh. what yeah you're talking about hours there hours sorry yeah. and the tension temp military time yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> the tension temporarily relaxed but in the morning of the 25th renewed activity began radars picked up an unidentified target 120 miles west of la anti-aircraft batteries were alerted at 2 15 a.m and were put on green alert ready to fire a few minutes later, the AAF kept its pursuit planes on the ground, referring to a weight indication of the scale and direction of any attack before committing its limited fighting fire force. Radars tracked the approaching target to within a few miles of the coast, and at 0221, the regional controller ordered a blackout there after the information center was flooded with reports of enemy planes. Even though the mysterious object tracked it from... Tracked in from the sea seemed to have vanished at 
243 in the morning, excuse me. <laughs> planes go. were I know how to read it. I know. The planes were reported near Long Beach and a few minutes later a coast uh, artillery colonel spotted about 25 planes at 12,000 feet over LA. At about 3.06, a balloon carrying a red flare was seen over Santa Monica, and four batteries of anti-aircraft artillery opened fire, whereupon the air over Los Angeles erupted like a volcano. From this point on, reports were hopelessly hopelessly at variance. I can talk really. And this is long. <laughs> Probably much of the confusion came from the fact that anti-aircraft shell bursts caught by Searchlights were themselves mistaken for enemy planes. In any case, the next three hours produced some of the most imaginative reporting of the war. Swarms of planes, or sometimes balloons of all possible sizes, numbering one to several hundred, traveling at altitudes which ranged from a few thousand feet to more than 20,000 feet, and flying at speeds which were to have varied from very slow to over 200 miles per hour, were observed to parade across the skies. These mysterious forces dropped no bombs, and despite the fact that 1,440 rounds of anti-aircraft ammunition were directed against them, suffered no losses. There were reports, to be sure, that four enemy planes had been shot down, and one was supposed to have landed in flames at a Hollywood intersection. Residents in 40-mile arc along the, west, uh, along the coast watched from hills or rooftops as the play of guns and searchlights provided the first real drama of the war for citizens of the mainland. The dawn which ended the shooting in the fantasy also proved that the only damage which resulted in the city was such as had been caused by the excitement. There was at least one death from heart failure that I think that was two. Uh, but, but traffic accidents in the blacked out streets or by shell fragments from the artillery barrage Attempts to arrive at an explanation of the incident quickly became as involved and mysterious as the battle itself. The Navy immediately insisted that there was no evidence of the presence of enemy planes, and the Secretary of the Navy, Frank Knox, announced at a press conference on the 25th of February that the raid was just a false alarm. As the same conference, he admitted that attacks were always possible, indicated that vital industries located along the coast ought to be moved inland. The Army had a hard time making up its mind on the cause of the alert. A report to Washington made by the Western Defense Command shortly after the raid had ended indicated the credibility of reports of an attack had begun to be shaken before the blackout was lifted. This message predicated that developments would prove that most previous reports had been greatly exaggerated. The, Air, the 4th Air Force had indicated its belief that there were no planes over L.A., but the Army did not publish these initial conclusions. Instead, it waited a day until after a thorough examination of witnesses had been finished. On the basis of these hearings, local commanders altered their verdict and indicated a belief that from one to five unidentified airplanes had been over L.A. Secretary Stimson announced that this, this conclusion as the War Department version of the incident, and he advanced two theories to account for the mysterious craft. Either they were commercial airplanes operated by an enemy from secret fields in California or Mexico, or they were light planes launched from Japanese sub submarines. In either case, the enemy's purpose must have been to locate anti-aircraft defense in the area or to deliver a blow at civilian morale. Breathe. Me? 
<clears throat> the yes. divergence of views between the war and Navy departments and the unsatisfying conjectures advanced by the Navy to explain the affair touched off vigorous public discussion. The Los Angeles Times, in a first-page editorial on 26 February, announced that the considerable public excitement and confusion caused by the alert, as well as spectacular, spectacular official accompaniments, demanded a careful explanation. Fears were expressed by at least a few... <laughs> Fears were expressed at least a few phony raids undermine the, the confidence of civilian volunteers and the aircraft warning services. In the United States Congress, Representative Leland Ford wanted to know whether the incident was a practice raid or a throw to scare two million people or a mistaken identity raid or a raid to take away Southern California's war industries. Wendell Wilkie, speaking for Los Angeles on February 26th, assured Californians the basis of experiences in England that when the air raid is real, based on his experiences in England, that when a real air raid began, you won't have to argue about it. You'll just know. He conceded that the military authorities had been correct in calling precautionary alert, but deplored the lack of agreement between the Army and the Navy. A strong editorial of the Washington Post on the 27th called the, land, the handling of the Los Angeles episode a recipe for jitters and censored the military authorities for what he called stubborn silence in the face of widespread uncertainty. That's kind of funny. When the wolf, he's assuring people that if there's an air raid, they'll know, but they didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> the editorial suggested that the Army's theory of co that commercial planes might have caused the alert explains everything except where the planes came from, the weather, where they're, whether they are going, and why the, no American planes were sent in pursuit of them. The New York Times on February 28th expressed belief that the more the incident was studied, the more incredible it became. Yet the batteries were firing at nothing at all, as Secretary Knox implies. It's a sign of expensive incompetence and jitters. If the batteries are firing at real planes, and some of them as low as 9,000 feet, as Secretary Stimson declares, then they were completely ineffective. Why did no American planes go up to engage them, or even to identify them? What would have happened if that had been a real air raid? These questions were appropriate, but for the War Defense Department, sorry, the War Department to have answered them in full frankness would have involved even more complete revelation of the weakness of our air defenses. Hmm. At the end of the war, the Japanese stated that they did not send planes over the area at the time of the, this alert, although submarine-launched aircraft were sub subsequently used over Seattle. A careful study of evidence suggests that meteorological balloons known to have been released over Los Angeles may well have caused the initial alarm. This theory is supported by the fact that anti-military units were often were officially criticized for having wasted ammunition on targets which moved too slowly to be airplanes. After the firing started, careful observation was difficult because the drifting smoke and shell bursts. The acting commander of the anti-aircraft artillery brigade in the area testified that he had been, at first he had been convinced that he had seen 15 planes in the air, but quickly decided that he was seeing just smoke. Competent correspondents like Ernie Pyle and Bill Henry witnessed the shooting and wrote that they were never able to make out an airplane. It's hard to see in any event what enemy purpose would have been to serve to, to have been served by an attack in which no bombs were dropped, unless perhaps as Mr. Sedman, sorry, Stimson suggested the purpose had been reconnaissance. <clears throat> sorry, reconnaissance. There we go. Uh, let's see. Ufology. A photo published by the Los Angeles Times on February 26, 1942, has featured a UFO conspiracy theory. Sorry, it has been, cons has been a conspiracy theories as evidence of extraterrestrial visitation. I can talk, I swear. Well, here we are tired. <laughs> <laughs> 
They assert that the photo clearly shows searchlights focused on an alien spaceship. However, this photo is heavily modified by photo retouching prior to publication, a routine practice in graphic arts of the time, noted to improve contrast of black and white photos. Los Angeles Times writer Larry Harnsnitch, Harnsitch, Harnsitch, okay, noted that the retouch photo along with fake newspaper headlines were presented as true historical material in the trailers of the 2011 film Battle Los Angeles. He commented that if the public publicity campaign wanted to establish UFO research as nothing but lies and fakery, it couldn't have done a better job. Yeah, but we're talking about a movie versus the actual event. Yeah, well, if you look they, at the picture. Yeah, but they, what they did was they took the Battle of Los Angeles, the the incident, the newspaper clippings, whatever, mm-hmm. applied it to the movie. To the movie, yes. As an actual event that occurred before the Battle of Los Angeles in 2011. Yes. They're saying that they're basically turning that, that, that truth into a fiction. Yes. And this guy is saying that because they did that, it never really happened anyway. But as far as uh, the picture goes, you and I have looked at that picture. Yes. And um, what do you think about it? Uh, it definitely shows definite signs of touch-up. Oh yeah, definitely. I looked at the photo and like I and and, and as I said, <laughs> it it looks more like to me it looks more like a, a sketch or a drawing of the actual mm-hmm. event. a very detailed one, but it looks like it's not real. Yeah, no. Um, it's not saying it's it, not. It it's makes me think of, of the 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 double images for ghost photography. Yeah. Like here's here's all these spotlights, and here's a center point, and if you look at the different pictures that are offered for this, there are three or four different pictures, of which a couple of them are mirrored of it. There's a lot of retouch and layering going mm-hmm. on here. Mm-hmm. So did you want to do your your yeah. commemoration? That's the last part. Ah, okay. <laughs> I have no brain. Commemoration. Every February, the Fort MacArthur Museum, located at the entrance to Los Angeles Harbor, hosts an entertainment event called the Great L.A. Raid of 1942, if anybody's interested. Apparently, they do it every year. So maybe this year. Yeah, yeah this year was COVID. This year Actually, be... no, COVID didn't hit until March, so maybe they had done it this year. Maybe not next year. It's possible. So, <laughs> see where that takes us. So, we have three incidents here, or, or three different areas of, of interest involving mm-hmm. UFOs. What do you all think of that? Uh, it was a good theme show. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think of the incidences themselves? I Real think, or fake? Um, the cover-ups are fake. I'm sorry, but Why and it's always it's always a weather balloon, whether it is or not. <laughs> you know, it's just I. There are so many unexplained things in the world and out in the universe. And the fact that, you know, I know we, we have a very special planet. It's, you know, rare for planets to have living organisms on them. But I, I we can't be the only no, one in, in the universe. It's a mathematical probability. And if we're not, then maybe somebody else has better capability of traveling from place to place, you know. So I, I honestly don't think that it's fake necessarily. Who knows what it is for sure. And you mentioned something about a UFO that was followed by a helicopter. Yes. During one of the that was one of the the the, the Marinelsham later the later things. Event, yeah. yeah. Now, if that's the case, and they say it's a fake, why is it being chased by a military helicopter? Because it wasn't being chased. Because it was being escorted. I don't know. They're balloons. <laughs> <out of it. laughs> 
<laughs> you okay? Yeah, breathing is so much fun tonight. Especially when you uh, breathe through your saliva or water. Yeah. Yeah, it's when great. You, when you should just be swallowing. Yeah. Not again, breathing. But again, like I said, and if there's lights in the sky, I'd like to think you got an idea what those lights mm -hmm. might be. And if you don't know what they are, maybe they are extraterrestrial. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a meteorological event. Possibly. Who knows? Um, maybe it's a little of, of both. Little maybe it's both someone yeah. shirt-tailing in through a meteor meteorological event. Mm -hmm. And then going into the Battle of Los Angeles, that could easily, as they said, be... Uh, uh, hysteria I, I i from everything that i remember and as you're reading it as we're reading i'm like okay this makes this this triggers memories i think that was just a a wartime hysteria is the number one explanation for it and people were trying to coattail it here's well, you mentioned, it you mentioned while we were off there's an incident in oregon you said it was yes uh, oregon had had unexploded japanese bombs okay and an unexploded japanese bomb that uh a light craft had been launched off of a submarine made it over the mainland dropped his bomb this must be an incendiary bomb it didn't go off the number one uh, casualty to it was a gentleman running to it he ran into a tree and clipped his head <laughs> he didn't take his head off though right no just just, no, just, just so there was no just, even just death. no 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 death just scratched himself he run toward object bump tree with head Fall but, down, go boom. You know, <laughs> him, not the bomb. George the Jungle, watch out for the tree. Yeah. 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 When you're running to see what it is, still watch out for the tree. Apparently, he was so focused on the object, he failed to see the tree in front of him. Yep. So it's, he it's failed those, to see the forest for the trees. You know, that, that's where yeah. we actually have proof. The tree for the forest. <laughs> we actually have proof that something happened. And you know, it was. It was well, sorry. there you got a physical object. Yeah, physical yeah, object right there. But, this is a Japanese thing that, but not. You know, when you're talking about the battle of L the battle over LA, and nobody it, knows what it was. It very well could have been. I think I read somewhere to this day they still don't know what it exactly. was. No, that's something else. I'm confusing things. It, it, it very well could have been, been a, could have been a UFO encounter. It could have been a case of nerves. It could have been weather balloons. Yes, I said that. It could be weather balloons. But it could be bunnies. <laughs> it might be bunnies. Yeah, it's exactly what went through my head. <laughs> See that that I want on the playlist. <laughs> If I can find it, I want that. that on our Halloween playlist. <laughs> if you don't know, they're talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Season five. Everyone supposes with their wiggly eyes and, and fuzzy little noses. And what's with all the carrots? Well, they need such good eyesight for anyways. Bunnies, bunnies, it must be bunnies. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe demons. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't have that as a regular watching thing ever in my house right ever on the monthly yes we, ever. we believe you tracy yeah so what do you think about redlow manor secret military installation for ufos could be, could be. You know, governments are always covering things up, and just because we have the Release of Information Act doesn't mean they're going to share everything with us anyway. Well, it is something to say when you've got a military base that's kind of covered up as a mansion. It is a mansion. It's a mansion didn't, on top. And, and Didn't they build the mansion? Wasn't the mansion there first? No, the, the no, tunnels were there first. The tunnels were there first. The mansion was built Now, I'm not talking about the tunnels. I'm talking about wasn't the mansion there before the base was? 
Sorry. Yes. See, so the sorry, I, I have sharp nails. I'm sorry, it was an accident. But um, the what the mansion was there first, right? Yes. So the base was built around it, probably because of the caves underneath it. So most likely. I don't know. I know nothing. I I don't know anything. I I, I suspect things, but I never know anything. All for I sure. know is with all those underground <laughs> cables in Rendlesham Forest, they had better internet than we do. Usually, for yes. For the '80s. <laughs> That's that what's supposed to be, because military. Imagine you dial up internet with cables like those. <laughs> You'd never hear the squee of AOL ever again. Yeah. Picking up the phone to make a phone call and you're... Oops. Somebody's on the... I'm on the internet! internet. Get off the phone! <laughs> I'm on the internet! <laughs> I remember that. Millennials would never understand. Nope, because they have it a lot easier than we did. Yeah. We didn't have things like Wikipedia or the internet to look things up. We had, look it up in the dictionary. Read a book. <laughs> or read the encyclopedia. I remember the ads. Look it up, dear. And we're going to my grandparents' house because my up. grandparents had two sets, complete sets of different encyclopedias. I fully understood the Dewey Decimal System. Yeah, having to look books up. Through, don't ask me now because I don't remember. Everything's gone. Whoop. Because I don't use it. <laughs> but I remember having to look things up in junior high. So be glad for the internet. And grade school. So, yes. Be grateful for the internet. It's it's a good thing. Here it, don't sing the song. Don't sing the song. I have no cue. I've never seen it. it. We oh haven't seen it. Oh, you guys need we to see it. We want to. We really do. But we haven't seen it. I told you it's on YouTube. The internet's It's on YouTube. Oh, no. I know the song. I know the, the song. The internet's working. Yeah, internet's for porn. Oh yeah. yeah, we don't. We don't. This is a family show. We do not need to be well, talking. You know about... what? That's why I was like, "Don't sing it all." We're not I'm trying to be good. I know, but there are kids. We're not. We're not cussing. Actually, but the kids have watched it themselves on YouTube without us talking about it. Well, I know that my children have seen it. Have been raised on Avenue Q songs, and then they got to see Avenue Quarantine. Which yeah. is done by the, the the casts across the world talking about What's wrong quarantine it? life. It's hilarious. Whoa! You should all watch or check out Avenue Quarantine. Just saying. I think the dog's trying to tell us we're done. <laughs> I think so. Well, the dog has been growling, and I mean her stomach, not her actually. Oh, so, she's been belching up a storm. <laughs> yeah, and she keeps looking at us. So I guess that means it's time to end our program for tonight. We hope you enjoyed it. Hope you got something out of it. It was kind of a out twisty turny, for mm -hmm. lack of a better word. A little out there and a little overlap a couple of times. Yes. But yeah. <laughs> but we hope you understood what was going on. Hope you enjoyed it. Draw your own conclusions. We did, certainly. Um, so, anybody know what's going on next week? You just told me and I forgot again. Shadow people! <laughs> shadow oh, yeah, shadow people. We're going to be talking people. about shadow people and the hat man. Um, and I need to contact, but we might actually have a guest for that. But we're not going to let know who it is. Let anybody because... know until the actual episode because I still have to verify the, the, that she'll be able to do it. And we don't want to jinx it. No, don't want to jinx it. <laughs> But in the meantime, in between time, as usual, we want to mention again how to contact us. You can contact us through gmail.com at What in the Podcast. You can join our Facebook group at the What in the Podcast Facebook group. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
you can click the little message icon, uh, send a message icon at the uh, bottom of bot the, the description. Yes, thank you, Tracy. And leave a message. Record that voicemail. Hit that button. Record that message. Or you can get to a, get through it to us on our various Facebook pages. Yep. yep. By our names. So. Actually, um, I'm even going to throw out my own email account. You can reach me at foxfeather67 at gmail.com if you want to talk to me directly. And if anybody else wants to throw theirs out, feel free. I never check mine, so don't even bother. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, That's even if you, you know, know it, don't bother. If you wanted to spell mine out the right way, it would still get you lost. So just reach me out through Tracy Lynn Hernandez on Facebook. Yes. Because otherwise, you'll be looking at me like I've grown three heads, and probably I have. Besides, you don't need to have all these email accounts anyway. Exactly. Mine and what in the podcast at gmail.com should be more than enough. Yep, yep, yep. And we yep. promise to get back to you as soon as possible. We, we, we are in the habit of responding when we remember. And I'm also going to say, at this point, <laughs> there is no bonus episode tonight. So no. this is the one you have to listen to. <laughs> don't go looking for something else that you think might be better. But go back and listen <laughs> to the first episode of last week. Yes, yes. listen to episode 17, people. That's mm -hmm. I want to really encourage you guys to do that. Yes, um, please do. You, you might have gotten some information from episode 18, but you missed out if you didn't hear 17. Exactly. It's worth it. We'd like, well, at least I'd like to think it's worth it because we did it, but yes, you know, <laughs> it's hard to believe that we're at 19 and next week will be episode 20. Goodness so gracious, weird. but so great, exactly. We've been able to go 20 episodes. It kind of, I kind of feel established actually mm -hmm. at this point. So, anyway, um, have a good night, folks. Take care of yourselves, be safe, be sane. That's all, folks. Be happy, be healthy, <laughs> hopefully, be strange. <laughs> Definitely. Keep it, keep it weird. Keep it strange. Just have fun. Yes. Yes. Don't let life get you. Have fun and enjoy yourselves. Night, everybody. Good night. Night. You thought we were done. Guess what? There's <laughs> more to come. <laughs> keep listening. After Good the point. close, we've got something special for you. That we told you about at the beginning. That's right. If you weren't listening, we've got the halt tape. Enjoy. What in the? Hey, folks. Just wanted to say thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, if you're still listening, I wanted to throw in something special. We have uh, got ourselves a copy of the Halt tape from the Rendlesham Forest incident, and it's my pleasure to play it at the end of the podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening again.
these trees that face into the blast, what we assume is the landing site, all have an abrasion facing in the same direction towards the center, the same direction. Let's get to the circle here. Coming back down here. Stop, stop. Light off. Hey, this is you. 